Ladies and gentlemen, the end comes to the official time. 14 seconds, round number two. We have your winner by KO Jim Aten Miller. For your winner by unanimous decision, Norma the Immortal Duval. That's right. You're listening to episode 107 of the DLSS Podcast. I'm your host, D-Love. Noah Dumont gets an upset victory over Aspen Ladd. And Jim Miller proves that old dogs can learn new tricks. All that and more now. All right, guys. Welcome back. So I'm going to start out. Actually, I want to shine up Jim Miller's wheels real quick. He's an OG of the game. Been around since 2008. That's 13 years. And you know how I like to talk about these legends and these old guard and these old school fighters. Because they're a dying breed and there's only a few of them left. So I want to start out the show by... Shining up Jim Miller's wheels a little bit. Been in the game, been in the UFC, like I just said, since 2008, which means that's 13 years. He just secured his 13th performance bonus in this fight, 50th professional fight, 38th UFC fight in his 38th year of life. He just turned 38. And so, I mean, I want to start out talking about him. Obviously, in a second, I want to give a little praise to Dave DeCourcy and the DeCourcy group, and we got a little bit of an announcement on that end as well. But before I get going, I want to just start off the show by playing the post-fight interview for Jim between Jim Miller and Michael Bisbee, just because it just sums up the guy. It gives you a little bit of an idea. This guy is the Iron Man of MMA. And all those fights, 50 professional fights, 38 UFC fights, never missed weight once. Again, just one of those guys that's been able to extend his career, and I got a lot of respect for the man. So I'm going to start off by playing the post-fight uh, interview. A lot of repeat stats from the things I just gave him praise for, but let's go ahead and do that, and then we'll get this show going. The unmistakable Jim Miller. Jim Miller, your 50th professional fight, taking on a UFC newcomer, and you get the job done. I mean, how are you feeling right now? Uh, I feel great. You know, uh, he's a tough dude. Uh, coming in with nothing to lose. Came out scrapping. Hit me good in that first round. I was able to keep things together, and old dog, new tricks. You know, got, got a KO. A lot of people wouldn't have taken that fight, given your position in the company. Tell me why you accepted it. Uh, you know, I'm here to fight, man. You know, I was training a fight in September and that fell through because I ended up catching the vid so uh, you know I, I jumped right back into it um, feeling good and, and you know I just like to fight I just like to fight and, and then get paid <laughs> well we like to watch you fight and you were saying you want to fight in UFC 100 200 and 300 we'll, we'll see yeah you know uh, my, my early goal was 40 fights in the UFC we're we're two away from that. Uh, I feel like I can make that pretty easy. So got my eyes further ahead in the future, and, and we're going to try to get to 300. Just incredible, Jim. I think you have the respect of the entire mixed martial arts community. Jim Miller, ladies and gentlemen. So there you go. I don't know if you guys didn't have a chance to catch that. I just, I don't know. I love that. So you guys know I love my sound bites, but I feel like it just gives a good characterization of the man. You know, he's a fighter's fighter. He just loves to fight. He loves to scrap. So as for long as he can do it. Uh, you know, and he can do it to, in a safe way. You know, he's got a family as well. He's trying to provide for his family. Uh, but he's going to keep going. And, hey, man, can, did you hear that stat? He wants to be one of the only fighter to be able to have fought on the UFC numbered card, UFC 100. He also fought on UFC 200. And we're at UFC 267 coming up next weekend after, not this coming weekend, but the following weekend. So not too, I mean, I think it's 2023, I think they estimated that it'd be for him to be able to, if he could still be healthy and compete and compete on that card, be the only fighter to ever compete on UFC 100, UFC 200, and UFC 300, which is, again, just the Iron Man of MMA. If there's a Iron Man, like, category or award in the UFC Hall of Fame, like Jim Miller, 100% candidate for it. Uh, 22nd win in the UFC, which is like, I think, third behind Donald Cerrone and tied with Damian Maia. So, I mean, this guy is incredible. And I always just, again, want to shine up the wheels of these OGs that have been around, found a way to extend their careers. 
and are just, you know, made for this shit. And he's a hell of a dude. He's a, he's a nice-ass guy, and, uh, you know, I'm just really happy for him. And, of course, I went with him. It was one of the few times he was uh, the favorite in a long time uh, going up against this UFC newcomer who gave him a lot of trouble, as he mentioned in the first round, uh, but he weathered the storm. I feel like there was a, a lapse in judgment and a, and a you know, a dangerous, I'm sorry, irresponsible weapon thrown by his opponent, Eric Gonzalez. And Jim Miller, being the veteran he is, he saw the opening and he took it and stepped back, stepped back and landed that left hand solid and took him out. One hell of a show, and I'm very proud of the guy. So it just I'm getting a little bit of ahead of myself because I wanted to make sure not to, you know, I feel like it was a little bit of a mischaracterization of Jim Miller to talk about, like, old dogs and new tricks, even though it was a play on his comment because he's the one who said it himself. But the man's always had adequate striking, in my opinion, and elite level for whatever that level was at the time. I mean, Again, he's been in the, in the UFC for over a decade, and the game and striking in particular has definitely evolved. And I feel like he's evolved with it. He was actually one of the first people to point out and kind of kept it to himself for the most part. But um, he was affected by calf kicks long before it was a prevalent strike like we see now, which has become one of the more uh, devastating and effective strikes that really can change the course of a, of a fight quickly nowadays where he was one of the first people to be utilizing it, just didn't necessarily talk about it you know what i'm saying in fact the only time i think you ever really hear mention of jim miller and calf kicks is there's a couple interviews out there that dustin poirier has actually done saying that he his leg he learned about calf kicks dustin poirier is speaking here because of the devastation that jim miller did to him in their fight with calf kicks and their fight was back in 2017 so that's four years ago when we've only really seen the strike become you know more and more used over the last i guess five years or so so again a bit of a mischaracterization to talk about like old dogs and new tricks because this guy gets a ko yeah it's been a long time since we've seen him get a ko finish but born finisher a lot of times gets the submission and again he's always been good at striking and always improving he's got good knees good elbows good striking in general especially for someone that didn't i don't think he had a you know a traditional mix or a traditional martial arts background so um, you know, again, I don't know how much I could spend time I could spend shining up Jim Miller's wheels, but if you want, if you guys like this kind of stuff, if you guys like these OG fighters like that, I always try to like make sure to emphasize a bit. Um, let me know and give me a, a name or give me somebody that you might want me to go maybe back over the course of their career, some interesting or pivotal moments, and just kind of relive those and, and rehash those. Talk about whatever you guys want. So just let me know. I'm always down. But we're going to get into it. I'll talk a little bit more about Jim Miller uh, a little bit later. We'll obviously talk about the fight a little bit too uh, from a technical standpoint. But before we get going, got to make sure to shout out Dave DeCourcy and the DeCourcy group. And shout out Blake also. Blake DeCourcy, his son, Blake the Snake. He's back in action next month, Friday, November 19th for IFS International Fight Showdown 54. Coming to you from Anaheim, California. Doors open at 6 p.m. Make sure to check it out. Hit up Dave DeCourcy, myself, or Blake on uh, social media for tickets. We'd love to see you guys there. Appreciate it. So shout out to Blake and kick some ass, brother. But if you guys need to take any cash out of the equity of your home or any kind of property, or if you need to get a loan in order to purchase some property, make sure to support the people that support the podcast by going to www.thedecourcygroup.com. That's T-H-E-D-E-C-O-U-R-C-Y group.com. And if you let them know the DLSS podcast sent you, it would definitely help me out a lot, so I do appreciate that. And if you guys, please can, go to Apple and iTunes and leave, leave a five-star rating if you so choose, and hopefully a positive review, but give me feedback. I'd love to hear from you guys. love to hear what you guys are thinking about the show, any improvements or anything you can suggest that will make the experience better for you. I am all ears, so I always appreciate when you do. Uh, but let's get into it. Obviously, we're going to talk about the UFC Fight Night card, Norma Dumont, 
defeats Aspen Ladd in their main event. Uh, other notable performances like Jim Miller, Andre Arlovsky, another veteran of the game. We're going to get into that. And then we're going to look ahead to next weekend because we have another fight night card before we jump on a plane and go to Abu Dhabi for UFC 267. This weekend, we got Paulo Costa, and he's taking on Marvin Vittori in the UFC fight night main event coming to you from the UFC Apex this coming Saturday. So we're going to go over last weekend's card. We're going to go ahead and get the picks for next weekend's card going as well. And in the middle, I am going to do a recap for the predictions challenge. It's getting down to it. I have an announcement with regards to the points. We got eight more events to uh, go and uh, collect points on, and it's it's pretty close. It's coming down to the wire, uh, but your boy is in the lead finally. So a little bit of a spoiler alert there, but that's what we're going to do for the show today. Uh, started off shining up the wheels of Jim Miller. Had to do it, but let's get into it now. Norma Dumont versus Aspen Ladd. This fight. You know, if you go back and listen to last weekend's show when I uh, gave my picks for this card, pretty much went the way I expected, and uh, I'm very happy and pleased that I called this one right. I didn't think the line was correct with Aspen Ladd coming in as the uh, favorite on, you know, what is it, two weeks' notice when she had a weight miss two weeks prior at 135. As an athlete, you know, you time these things to try to peak and to be at your optimal shape for that weight class, so... I felt like going into this fight, yeah, she'd be comfortable. Yeah, she wouldn't have trouble uh, making the weight. But she was probably going to be at a potential size and strength disadvantage, being it not be her natural weight class, or at least the one she'd been recently competing in. And in this particular stylistic matchup, I felt like you know she was going to have to lean on that grappling, lean on that strength in order to get Dumont to the floor and lean on that you know signature top pressure and ground and pound that she's so uh, well known for. And you know if that was going to be her main approach and path to victory stylistically, given all the other surrounding circumstances, I just didn't think it was going to be her night. You know, that doesn't mean with a full training camp and maybe, you know, six months or so to add on the size needed to uh, feel like, you know, she's not undersized at 145, maybe make a small weight cut down to 145 after putting on a little bit of size. Maybe that fight would have played out differently. But again, given the stylistic matchup and given the circumstances surrounding the fight, I felt like Norman Dumont was going to was gonna have her way if she could keep it on the feet, which she ultimately did. She kept the distance, She was, and which I felt like she bit, did beautifully. Like, it was just every time Aspen tried to collapse even an inch, you felt like Dumont stepped back and just recovered that same inch, keeping it exactly at the distance throughout the entire fight that she wanted, aside from a few moments where Aspen Ladd, kind of similar to the uh, Mackenzie Dern fight, just finally, you know, just stepped into range, made it look ugly, did whatever she needed to do, even taking some punishment along the way to collapse the pocket and get a hold of her, which, again, did happen a few times. And credit to Dumont, you know, because she, up against the fence, she kind of stalemated the position. I'm not going to lie. She wasn't necessarily looking to do anything other than ensure that she wasn't getting taken down, just like we saw last week with Marina Rodriguez. And when she was up against the fence uh, against Mackenzie Dern, she did the same thing. So in this case, being Dumont, she was taking her time, staying calm, and then she would reverse the position and then put Aspen's lad up against uh, Aspen lads back up against the fence, and until a little bit later in the fight where she got a little bit tired, and this didn't happen every time, but uh, early on in the fight, whenever those things happened, she'd turn her, put lads back against the fence, and immediately shrug out her arms and reset the action, step back to the center of the cage, keep herself and her back off the uh, cage, and just kept and making sure that the fight was taking place in the range that she wanted it to take place in, like that kicking range or that you know, kickboxing range with a little bit, you know, the boxing range was definitely there for her too. But again, she wanted to be just outside that and be able to blitz in. She had a good speed advantage with regards to her jab and her timing of the jab. 
timing of her strikes in general. Um, and yeah, a little bit of a treat for you guys. I don't know if you read the headline for this episode before you clicked on it or before you started listening, but I actually was uh, lucky enough to have a back and forth with Norma Dumont uh, through DM on Instagram talking about a little bit about the technical aspect of this fight and her approach and what she felt and her coaches felt were her technical advantages. Uh, you know, not speaking anything about Aspen as, in terms of size or anything like that. She actually gave Aspen uh, credit for her size and strength and saying that, you know, it was a battle of concentration that she needed to stay focused the entire 25 minutes because Aspen was very dangerous and she had a lot of size and strength. So a little bit of a treat for you guys this week. I'm, I'm proud and happy to bring it to you. I did have to do this entire exchange through, you know, with Google Translate because she's speaking Portuguese or I'm typing in Portuguese. So uh, it is going to be a little choppy, but I just want to go through it a little bit because initially when I was watching the fight in real time, you can ask Nora this because I was like, you know, she's rolling her eyes at me. I'm sitting here, won't shut up the entire fight pointing these things out. But I was like, look, like her jab and her timing, she's disrupting Aspen uh, Lad's rhythm. She was like, every time in between her footsteps, in between like Luke Thomas is famous for talking, it's called the half beat, which is exactly right. You know, if they set a rhythm or you set a rhythm for your opponent, you want to disrupt that because if you look at their feet, a lot of times when you're stepping or, or shifting your weight from front back, front foot to back foot while you're stepping or moving along, there's these moments in between your steps where you're technically on one leg and you really can't adjust. I mean, some people, really good reflexes, really good vision, you know, might have the ability to slip it. But for the most part, it's kind of a moment where you're just you're going to be frozen in time and because of the way your balance is set in that moment. So if you can look at that rhythm and disrupt that rhythm on the half beat or the half timing, you can really, uh, you know, take someone out of the game on the feet. And in particular, in this fight, Norma Dumont was doing that, and she was doing that really well with her jab because you had a really quick, snappy jab. And, uh, you know, again, disrupting that timing. And so I initiated this conversation with her saying, like, you're really good at disrupting your opponent's rhythm and timing. And definitely I saw that you were doing it in between the footsteps of Ladd and if you guys noticed, during the actual broadcast, Aspen Ladd, because this being Vegas, it's allowed, was wearing a black ankle sleeve on her rear foot. And so I postulated to Nora, I was like, I bet that Dumont doesn't even have to use very much mental or, or visual energy to time those footsteps because she can see in her peripheral vision that black ankle sleeve. And every time that back foot steps, every time it's off the mat, if she just snaps out her jab, then she's in good shape, like, for the most part, so to disrupt that timing. And so that's how I initiated the conversation with Dumont, of course, through Google Translator, typing in Portuguese. I'm just going to go through for the most part and read the messages back and forth, and i got to translate them again now into English. So I uh, hope you guys get some insight uh, to the approach that the fighter and their team took, their overall feeling about it, and, and how they felt after the fact as well. So, again, forgive me for repeating, but I started off the messages by saying, uh, hey, you do an extremely good job of interrupting your opponent's rhythm and timing with your striking, especially with your jab. I went on to say it's extremely fast, and you split Lad's timing between her steps when she was momentarily on one leg. All that being said, would you say that she made a mistake wearing that black ankle sleeve? I'm assuming you could see it in your peripheral vision all the time without having to expend a lot of mental energy looking for it. And then Dumont wrote back, she said, uh, not necessarily. She said, Aspen is a good athlete, but she doesn't know how to move. She said, uh, we knew that, and that's why we used the straight punches along with moving to her left side. So I'm filling this in away from her power side. And she then she goes on to say to make her look like a beginner. She said there are a few athletes who know how to move and change directions with speed, and we use this to our advantage. For Aspen to enter, 
She needs her opponent to try to fight her or run right into her or run right into her power side, her right side. And so if you do that, she goes on to say she throws herself on top of her opponent and uses her weight to take them down. She said Aspen's actually easy to read, and that's why the fight looked quote-unquote easy. And then she goes on to type, but it's a fight that requires maximum concentration because one mistake, it can be fatal. She is strong and has weight. So, like I said earlier, she actually gives her credit, even coming up from the lower weight class, for being uh, strong in the clinch, strong in those grappling exchanges, and, you know, being able to throw around her weight. So, you know, she had to be intelligent, she had to be smart, and she had to execute a game plan. You know, the knockout will come if it comes, but Aspen's very uh, durable, like I pointed out last week. So, she had to execute for the full 25 minutes and had to concentrate, like she just said. And after that long-ass response from her, I said, hold on real quick, I gotta put all that shit in Google Translate, or I'm not gonna be able to keep up. So, one second. And once I did, I read and understood everything I just read to you guys, and then I responded with, yep, I agree, you're totally right. I said, she's more of a novice when it comes to movement and footwork, especially in terms of striking and maintaining or collapsing distance. I said, we saw a similar situation, but more extreme example last week with Mackenzie Dern. And then I went on to say, Aspen might be easy to read for some people, but not everyone. I said, only someone with, like, you know, a lot of ability, skill, and intelligence in fighting can make it look, quote-unquote, easy. And I said, your upper body clinch work and being aware of uh, where and how to stay safe and when to reverse position against the fence or, like, basically which energy fights to fight and which ones to not fight. You know, I said there was times she was kind of stalling out the position on the fence, but if you couldn't reverse right away, she was just doing what she had to do to stay safe. And then I went on to say, you know, that was what kept you in control, even in the moments when she was able to, quote unquote, make it ugly and get her hands on you. And she responded with, yes, that's, you know, fighting intelligence is what makes all the difference. She says intelligence and the ability to perform and with a different presentation for each opponent so to be adaptable to your opponent or different styles and then i said i recognize that you know circling away from the power side and not collapsing the pocket irresponsibly you know this is the right approach to take away aspen's threats and to take advantage of dumont's footwork and movement advantage like i get that and i just i just wanted to i told her i said but the little details that you did, you know, keeping maintaining that exact right distance every time she tried to collapse an inch, you were stepping back just the right amount and just keeping yourself at range to be able to pop off that jab but not be in danger. I said, as well as the timing of your strikes and the jab in particular, I said your reaction time was top level and it was a, a you know amazing thing to watch. You know, you got to suck up a little bit here and there. I mean, but it's the truth. I was watching her fight. I felt like she did a very good job and it was a... I'm partial to striking. I felt like she executed a game plan well. And, you know, I was privileged to have this exchange, so I wanted to make sure to let her know that there's people out there that recognize what she was doing and, and, and appreciate it. And, you know, I'm telling you guys, this Google Translator is your friend. Like, I know it's kind of tedious and a pain in the ass, but, you know, I've talked to multiple fighters by just congratulating them in their own language um, after a good win, send them a DM or respond to a story of theirs when they're celebrating their win. You know, a lot of times... They're riding high and they're more willing to engage in those moments when people are supporting them and there's got a lot of positive energy coming their way. So, you know, I just a lot of times shoot a congratulations to a fighter that I think performed well in their foreign in their language, which is foreign to me. And, you know, they'll a lot of times like it and respond. So it is what it is. You know, I'm trying to just build my network and uh, one fighter at a time. So I appreciate the back and forth exchange with her, which is actually the next message I said. I said, I appreciate the back and forth conversation said you're a great fighter you got a fan in me i said i have a podcast and if you don't mind i'd, I'd like to share our conversation 
in my episode about your fight. I said, if you want me to keep it private, that's fine too. Whatever you prefer, let me know. Otherwise, keep up the great work. She said, of course, you know, go ahead and use it. No big deal. So I appreciate that. And if you guys aren't familiar, her nickname is The Immortal. And if you're a listener of this show, you more than likely know who the veteran OG Savage uh, Matt The Immortal Brown is sharing the same nickname. And so wrapping up the conversation, I may have left her with the uh, world's corniest MMA joke. And I basically said, what would be the life expectancy for a child that was conceived by both yourself and fellow UFC veteran Matt The Immortal Brown? And then I just sent answer equals and then I sent the infinity sign. So, yeah, according as fuck, but I think she found it funny. So, it is what it is. And uh, that, that was the, my conversation with the winner of last Saturday's UFC Fight Night main event, Nora Dumont. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. And congratulations to her on another big win in a main event spot. And uh, we'll see where she goes from here. I think they're trying to rebook the original matchup, which was between her and Holly Holmes. So, uh, we'll see where she goes from here. There's not a lot of depth to the 145-pound division. So, you know, she keeps this going. She'll be fighting for a title in no time, which is against the GOAT, a uh, women's GOAT, Amanda Nunes. So be careful what you wish for. But for now, good job. And uh, moving on, we're going to talk about a little bit more touch sprinkle on top of the Jim Miller stuff that I started the show with. Just wanted to talk a little bit about it from a technical standpoint. And I had mentioned earlier that his opponent had made an you know an irresponsible or ill-advised strike, put himself out of position when he overextended himself with that kick. And Jim Miller, being the veteran that he is, you know, being aware of the situation, having good vision, recognizing the opportunity, took advantage of it and put him out. But, you know, in the first round, as he had mentioned and we've talked about, he did face some adversity. And he was, I felt like uh, Gonzalez had the striking, like, power advantage. And he did seem like he was significantly bigger out there. And, you know, Jim Miller isn't the largest lightweight. But, uh, again, I felt like Gonzalez was putting it on him early. And Miller had to weather that storm and stay calm under the chaos but at that point that he got pretty fucking rocked in that first round and he looked almost like he lost his legs and he was falling to the ground maybe he even did have his legs come out from under him but what he did is his instincts immediately if you watch his right hand went to the hip and the left hand went to the left ankle it was damn near automatic like he probably could have done it maybe even unconsciously like he immediately had the wrestling instincts in order to try to take down his opponent and put himself in a safe enough position to try to recover because he was definitely rocked which he admitted and uh, I don't know I just that was a sign of the veteran savvy and the repetitions and the amount of times that he has been in that position right and the ability to not give up on yourself and just keep fighting uh, because you've been through and overcome so much adversity up until that point. You know, that's what gives you sometimes that drive to understand what you know you can overcome because of the battles that you've been through in the past. That's what experience gives you. And then Gonzalez, he, doing so well earlier on in the first round, comes out in the second round overconfident and basically just displays the exact opposite character given the lack of that experience comes out and, you know, puts himself out of position with a, a front kick that just was from too far away. He, he was going to collapse and fall with his chin up in the air and his hands down at his waist right after he missed that strike, putting him in a perfect position for Jim Miller to counter. And that lapse in judgment and that lapse in concentration, kind of like Dumont was talking about in her fight, was what made him lose that fight and made him lose it, you know, devastatingly. And now he's on a highlight reel for his UFC debut, his very first fight in the UFC. So... You know, I think he's got a lot of skills, a lot of talent from that short amount of time that I've seen him compete. So I'm going to definitely keep an eye on him because if he can keep uh, the mental side, if he can start to gain that composure and that maturity and start making, you know, good fight IQ decisions in the moment, then, you know, it looks like he's got ingredients to go far. So it is what it is. Congrats to Jim Miller again 
on getting the dub. And uh, I guess uh, chalk another one up for the old guys, right? And uh, speaking of old guys, another pioneer of the fight game and the sport of MMA. Been in the UFC since the year 2000. His first fight in the UFC was at UFC 28. Do you remember earlier when I said we have UFC 267 coming up? Andre Arlovsky's first fight, November 17th, year 2000, UFC 28 high stakes when they used to still have names back in the day. This guy is in what I would consider to be the third chapter of his career, which so many people I talked to, like nobody remembers that this guy was actually all the way back in 2004. He was actually the UFC heavyweight interim heavyweight champion when Frank Mir, you know, was in his bad motorcycle accident. Uh, Olofsky was set to face Tim Sylvia at UFC 51 in February of 2005. Uh, so they basically just announced that that fight was going to be for the interim championship, uh, which Arlovsky ended up winning and was granted the interim championship, ended up fighting for it, defending it, the interim belt, which has happened in the UFC twice, the second time in 2005 at UFC 55, after which they announced that the the interim title was now going to be upgraded to undisputed title because Frank Mir had still not fully recovered. I mean, a lot of people forget he broke his femur like up in his thigh really bad, Frank Mir did. So for him to even come back and have another run like he did and uh, in his fights against Brock Lesnar and all that stuff was pretty amazing. But Andre Arlovsky is a pioneer. He's been around since the beginning of time, it seems like. MMA, you know, as a popular sport is really you know 25 years old technically in terms of the ufc era and, and the zufa banner and stuff like that but that's a baby in terms of any kind of sport so this guy he's he's been around the block again a few times but he's found a way to reinvent himself over time and you know really adjust his style from being somebody who again like i was talking about jim miller you have to evolve with the with the game the level of technical ability is just going to continue to improve you know when there's these kids and people that have been born and bred inside the gym doing MMA since the first time they ever stepped on a mat, it's only going to improve. And so he's had to evolve along with the game. And, and part of doing that has adjusted his style to be less of a brawler and less of a sit down on your punches and just kind of throw and swing them things. But he has now been a lot more intellectual about it, a lot of feints and footwork and movement, which is difficult to do as a heavyweight over the course of, I mean, this was only a three-round fight. And he definitely was tired towards the end of it. So that's one thing that it can it can do is tax your cardio if you adopt a more movement-heavy style up at this weight class. But it's been something that he's been able to do over time. He's been able to reinvent himself, go to several different gyms. And as of late, he's been uh, the last few years uh, since leaving Jackson's at ATT in Florida. And, you know, being a lot more intelligent and methodical in his approach has allowed him to extend the fight extend his career and he's just showing that he can still hang with these new up-and-comers you know carlos felipe came out and uh, couldn't put it on him enough to put him out and ended up losing the decision he thought he won it i mean and in terms of betting and stuff like that i always talk about every week you got to get some like lucky bounces uh, and this was one of the lucky bounces this week i thought this fight was definitely very close could have gone either way but you score it on rounds i felt like arlovsky did enough to win the first two with that exact move stick and move faint style you know freeze your opponent, never really give them an opportunity to get started. They don't know when you're going to go or when you're just going to be moving out of the way, being elusive or offensive. You know, that's that herky-jerky style filled with a lot of feints and movement, which if you take a look at them, the judges scored it 29-28. to 28. All three of them had it the same, so that's exactly what he did. Two rounds to one and lost the third, but did enough in the first two to get it done. I mean, he's kind of an interesting puzzle, and you feel like he's like right there to be hit, 
and he sometimes can slow down the fight, but he's slowing it down on purpose and bringing you to the pace that he can hopefully maintain over the course of a three or, you know, if he gets there, a five-round fight based on the fact that he does have to move around a lot for a heavyweight that's going to drain your energy. And so, uh, and, you know, it's, he's taking a lot of punishment given the, due to the fact that he's been uh, on the block for so many damn years. So, I mean, think about it. It was all the way back in 2009 that he had that crazy KO loss to Fedor in, uh, what was that, Affliction? Yeah, and then two out of his next three losses, a four-fight losing streak, he was KO'd in those fights too. So, you know, he's had to really adjust given the durability dropping off over the course of, you know, all these wars over the course of all these years. It's just one of those uh, risk-averse styles. It's more of a point-fighting style. And, you know, credit to him. He's been around the game forever. He's got an overall record of 32 wins, 20 losses, and two no contests. So, again, this guy is just a machine. And uh, Benjamin Button, third stage of his career, third season, third chapter, whatever you want to call it. So we'll see how long he can keep this up for. But for now, congratulations to Andre Arlovsky, the pit bull, on another big win. So that pretty much does it for all the main storylines coming out of the UFC Fight Night card this last weekend. And with all due respect to, you know, like Nate Lamweiler with a big upset win, performance of the night bonus. He got a submission and a kind of choke in third round of Ludovic Klein. That was a great fight. And, you know, all due respect to him and Danny Roberts with another upset win. Luana Carolina, these uh, three fighters came through in the underdog role. And then Dana Batragal, or Batgari, however you pronounce it, he came out with a great highlight reel finish, KO, uh, two minutes and one second of the first round over Brandon Davis. So congratulations to all those guys. And again, with all due respect, you know, to them and all the rest of the fighters on the card, just wanted to mainly focus on the main event and, you know, the other two uh, top fighters on the card of note. So uh, we're going to go ahead and move on now. I'm going to take a quick break. Come back, recap the points for the predictions challenge, give a little bit of a teaser in terms of some slight tweaks I'm thinking about incorporating into next year's predictions challenge. And then we're going to look ahead to next week where I give my picks for UFC fight night. Paulo Costa is taking on Marvin Vittori in the main event. So one second, don't go nowhere. We'll be right back. Oh, that's right. We're back. You know what time it is. It's time to recap the points for the predictions challenge. Guys, I finally did it. We're almost two years down on this DLSS podcast shit, and I'm finally in the lead for my own damn contest, picking fights. This goes to show you, man, no matter how much you know, how much in the weeds you are, anything can happen in the sport of MMA, which makes it incredibly difficult to predict and makes it a hell of a lot of fun. So going into last week, I was at 246, trailing Nate by three points, Jose at 232, and I had another consistent week. I'm on fire. I think that's five weeks straight that I've been killing it. Both the main and co-main event were underdogs, and I got the correct method of victory. So three points apiece there. Got the Jim Miller pick, Emmanuel uh, Fariot, Bruno Silva, Donna Batgari, and Ariana Canalosi were all the points that I got. Plus, I got that win-loss bonus for the week. Nobody got fight of the night, so we all lost one point there. But with a total of 11 points on the week, five points for Nate, and only one point for Jose. Sorry about that. So now in the final stretch, only eight events left to go to get points. The year-to-date totals are as follows. I am in first place, 257 points. Nate's right behind me at 254. And Jose's trailing, not far behind, at 233 points. The year today win loss, I got 206 wins, 152 losses, five draws, and four no contests. Nate's got 200 wins right behind me. And Jose's got a little work to do there, but it is what it is. And we got eight weeks left to go, starting with this weekend. 
Marvin Vittori taking on Paulo Costa in the main event. But before we get there, real quickly, I want to announce a couple potential changes to the Predictions Challenge for next year and to put out a call to action, a request for anybody that wants to participate like loyal listener Jose Nunez has over the course of the entire last year. Really appreciate you, man, and that support. Being consistent, showing up every single week, putting in his picks with Nate and I. Not sure if Nate's going to be doing it again next year or not. Not sure if he wants to stick it out and put up the dough again like he did this year. But for anybody who's interested, anybody who wants to participate, let me know. Hit me up in the DMs or Apple and iTunes in the rate and review section. I always appreciate when you guys do that. If you want to participate, you just let me know. Jose's got a potential. The year's not over yet, so he can still potentially win 200 bucks this year. And for being consistent and sticking it out, brother, uh, Jose, if you're listening, which I know you are, uh, you got a little something special coming your way, even if you don't end up catching up and passing us so really appreciate that support once again and for those of you who are thinking about joining participating next year or jose if you're thinking about going a whole nother year with the show then you're going to want to know about some potential changes coming to the predictions challenge next year um you know everything's the same with exception to these few changes i'm thinking about instead of doing full fight cards i'm thinking about doing uh, a similar style to what the DraftKings lineups are where you have to pick six fighters and so i'm thinking about switching it up let me know your guys feedback on this and what you think to where you actually uh the participants get to choose their own individual six fighters so it's kind of based on confidence right you have if you have six out of the whole fight card whether it's 12 or 13 fights uh, or more you know if you have six fights that you're most confident in then you can choose those six fighters you know the other people myself we can pick other the other different fighters for our six but you know, it's still all the points and, and how we judge the points and fight of the night possibility and all the other ways that we score points with underdog points or, you know, I'm still going to do, um, I'm even tossing around the idea of doing all method of victory for all six round of method of victory. So uh, let me go with, know what you guys think in terms of switching up the, met, uh, the, the whole protocol and procedure like that. I think it'll be fun and I like to switch things up you now being the third year that we're going to be going into this. I want to you know, always make it a little bit different and uh, keep it fresh. And I think it could take a little bit of pressure off of the people other than myself that, you know, they don't have to dig in the weeds as much and look up these like UFC debuters or prospects that not many people know about just for the purposes of making their pick. But, you know, that is kind of part of the reason why I want you to end up listening to the damn episode so I can shine a little bit of a light on some of these lesser known fighters lower down the card that you may not be as familiar with. But I digress. Uh, but for the purposes of the predictions challenge next year, uh, pretty much decided right now in real time that i'm going to switch it up to picking six fighters instead of the entire fight card uh, all method of victories and rounds are in play uh, if you don't want to give them that's fine just less points on the table for you to not get but yeah so that's pretty much what we're going to do next year if anybody's interested in participating let me know there will be a financial incentive a cash money prize on the line and everything else will stay the same as far as how we accrue points so if you join us i will definitely go down the list and explain all those rules but that's enough about that so let's move on to doing the picks again ufc fight night paula costa taking on marvin vittori not going to spend the most amount of time on these uh it is kind of another Hashtag just some fights. Shout out to the co-main event podcast again. But with a 14-fight offering now just getting switched down to a 13-fight offering with one of the fights falling out as they do lately with COVID times, never knowing how many fights are actually going to go through. Not want to spend too much time on these. But yeah, going to go through it and spend a little bit more time on the main event and give you my picks. So let's do it. Starting at the bottom, this one was actually supposed to be Aaron Phillips versus Jonathan Martinez. But Aaron Phillips pulled out due to illness, I guess non-COVID related, but like I was saying, fights always get dropped off, and uh, I was really looking forward to it because I'm a big fan of Jonathan Martinez, so bummed, but I'm sure they'll get rebooked soon, hopefully. And then, uh, so we're moving on to the second fight uh, on the list here, first fight of the night, which is 
Uh, Ronda Marcos taking on Lavinia Souza. This one actually makes me a little bit nervous, only because the, there's these underdog points hanging out there for Ronda Marcos, uh, plus 105 to the minus 125 favorite for Souza. And, you know, she is Ronda Marcos on a four-fight losing streak. Uh, they do share a common opponent in uh, Ashley Yoder, who they both have a win over. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Souza's one-inch uh, – no, I'm sorry. Yeah, one-inch shorter, same reach. They have similar stats. I think they have a similar type game, but I think uh, Souza's a little bit more technical on the feet from what I remember. Uh, but Ronda Marcos, you know, she's due for a win. She's tough to put away. She's She brings the pressure. And if Souza gets put on her back, then I think that Ronda could, you know, while it might be boring, grind out a decision. And I, I've lost some points. I've lost some money on her before because I always like to go with her in an underdog spot because a lot of people dismiss her and because uh, she's just kind of like meat and potatoes, nothing flashy. But I don't know. I'm tempted to go with her. I'm going to go with her in this spot for now with the underdog points. But I want to check out the weigh-ins. And if I think Souza's going to have enough of a physicality factor to where she can kind of uh, – negate some of that strength that Ronda Marcus is going to need in order to grapple her effectively, then I might switch over to the favorite Souza. But for now, going with Ronda Marcus, the underdog for the win. And then we have Jeff Molina versus Daniel Lacerda. Uh, Molina is a slight favorite, minus 170, the plus 140 underdog for Daniel Lacerda. Uh, I'm going with the favorite here. He's 9-2 and two overall, and Lacerda, is, his opponent, is 11-1. and one. But I think the strength of schedule is in favor of uh, Jeff Molina here. And I think El Jefe, the favorite's going to get this one done. So Jeff Molina for the win. And then the next one, this one's actually a really interesting one to me. I don't know actually how to uh, take this one, what, what to expect. Uh, we got Jai Herbert facing Kama Worthy, 155-pound uh, bout. The 10-3 and three, Jai Herbert is a slight favorite, minus 175 to the plus 145 underdog for Kama Worthy. Both these guys are fighting, uh, coming off of a two-fight losing streak. And I don't know, Jai Herbert's that guy, if you guys are familiar, remember he's the stop-the-fight guy versus uh, Trinaldo. That was two fights ago, and then he's got another loss after that to uh, Hanata Moicano. Both guys that are, in my opinion, very good, so strength of schedule, even though a couple losses, he's been facing tough opponents. And then Kama Worthy has a loss, a recent TKO loss six months ago to Jamie Malarkey, and then a, a little over a year ago, a submission loss to Luis Pena who, sad story, has recently been cut from the UFC. Uh, but, yeah, so I don't know exactly how, what to expect from this fight. Um, as far as their attributes, I mean, obviously everybody knows Kama Worthy's bricked up. He's gigantic, hits like a Mack truck, but he's a little stiff. And, and, you know, his last few fights, he's looked like he's putting together a little bit better and uh, being able to not overcommit uh, with that power every single time. But Jai Herbert, not a whole lot of experience in the UFC, and so it's not a whole lot to go by. But, again, has faced a couple of tough opponents in his two fights in the UFC, 6-1 Jai Herbert to the 5-11 Kama Worthy. 74-inch reach, uh, reach to the 77 reach for Jai Herbert, so he's got a slight advantage there. I'm actually kind of uh, upset that I, th I would have expected with the UFC experience that they would uh, give the favorite to Kama Worthy here. thought there would be a potential underdog spot uh, for Jai Herbert. Uh, I thought I had a line on that, but I guess the odds makers are, are too smart for me. Um, and I'm going to go with the favorite here, Jai Herbert, even with the less UFC experience. I think he's going to be more technical on the feet. And I think he's going to be able to kind of touch and move and uh, you know, may go to decision. Who knows? But in this case, I'm going to go with the favorite, Jai Herbert, to get it done. And then we have a middleweight bout between Lariano Staropoli and Jamie Pickett. Both very unreliable as far as like betting goes. You know, you never know if they're going to come out hot or cold. 
Both guys coming off losing streaks. Uh, Three-fight losing streak for Staropoli. Two-fight losing streak for Jamie Pickett. And the overall record of 9-4. and Staropoli is the minus 230 favorite to the 11-6. Uh, Jamie Pickett coming back at a plus 190 underdog. And again, I just, you know, it could go either way. Jamie Pickett is a fucking brick shithouse. He'd come out, he hits really hard. He could pressure you and kind of cut off the cage. If he can get um, Staropoli stuck up against the fence and throw some of those hammers, he could really hurt him, and, and that could be all she wrote. But I think Staropoli is the better technical fighter. Uh, might have a size disadvantage in this one slightly, um, but I think the favorite is going to get this one done, although wouldn't surprise me if the underdog comes through in this case. But for now, I'm going with the favorite Staropoli to come out on top. Now, moving up the card, we have a women's flyweight bout between Tabitha Ricci versus Maria Oliveira. And then this one, the 5-1 and one Ricci overall versus the 12-4 and four Oliveira. Looks like she's got a, a experience disadvantage here, but the odds makers seem to think that Ricci uh, is the deserved favorite here. She's a minus 225 favorite to the plus 180 underdog for Oliveira. And, you know, again, I don't know much about either of these ladies, just kind of looking at their record on the regional scene. And they don't have a whole lot of UFC experience. And both, uh, actually, it looks like Oliveira's coming off of a two-fight winning streak, uh, albeit not in the UFC. This is her UFC debut. And Ricci actually has one fight in the UFC, uh, but it is a loss in her last fight versus uh, Ferriot, who we just saw uh, have a good win in last Saturday's fight. So she's got one fight in the UFC, albeit a loss. And uh, I don't know. Uh, again, I, I don't know a hell of a lot about these ladies, and nor do I know their former opponents on the regional scene, so it's kind of hard for me to judge there. But a lot of cappers, a lot of sharps uh, seem to be going with Ricci here, and I think I'm just going to you know, have to lean on them and trust their judgment in this one. So I'm going to go with uh, the favorite Tabitha Ricci in this spot. And then moving along, we have a middleweight banger between Jung Young Park versus Gregory Rodriguez. I think this fight's going to be fun to watch, man. Uh, Three-fight winning streak coming from both guys. In their last five fights, they both won four out of their last five. It's a minus 115 underdog. I'm sorry, minus 115 favorite to Jung Young Park to the plus 100 even money underdog for Gregory Rodriguez. So pretty much a, a coin flip, a pick em, whatever terminology you want to use. But it's a very close fight, and I think it's going to be exciting. Potential fight of the night in this one. Um, there's a slight height advantage. Uh, four, no, I'm sorry, five-inch height advantage, a little bit more in slight on the side of Rodriguez to and a three-inch reach advantage as well. And a couple of the best fucking nicknames as well. The Iron Turtle for Jung Young Park. Love it. And then Robocop for Gregory Rodriguez. I fucking love that shit too. But a uh, really close fight. Could go either way. I think it might be worth it to go for these underdog points just because it's a volatile fight. It might be one where it doesn't go to decision. But um, I'm not exactly sure. I think I'm going to go with Rodriguez here just because there is a chance that since you know he's got that reach advantage, the height advantage, and both these guys are extremely explosive, if he can clip Park, then I think that he could change the course of the fight and or put him out. So worth it for those underdog points going with Gregory Rodriguez to end up on top. And then it looks like I accidentally skipped over one. My bad. I'm going to go back one more lightweight fight between Mason Jones, 10-1, versus David Onama, 8-0. It's really interesting and ironic that I ended up accidentally skipping this one because if you look at all – the sports books, there's literally only one sports book out of all of them that are having odds on this. If you look at some of the capping sites in terms of what people are betting on this fight, it doesn't look like anybody's really placing any sort of action on this fight at all. 
I don't know the story behind it. Haven't had a chance to really dig in. I don't know if it's a last-minute fight or what, but it uh, doesn't look like it's been scrapped. looks like it's still happening, and it's just really interesting as far as, like, there's very little action on this fight just in general. But this is David Onama's UFC debut, and then Mason Jones, he's got two fights in the UFC, uh, one loss, and then he's coming off a no contest about four or five months ago. I don't know if you guys remember this against Alon Patrick. It was an accidental eye poke stoppage. So, you know, not a whole lot to go on with these guys. Uh, but Onama is coming on, coming into this fight on a five-fight winning streak as well. But the odds um, are in the one book that does actually have odds have it as a minus 550 favorite for Mason Jones and a plus 375 for David Onama underdog spot. So not a lot to go on other than that, that last fight for Jones. And, uh, you know, I haven't really seen much out of David Onama. So I'm going to pick uh, Mason Jones to get the win here. And I just looked it up and I realized that I, I'm even more emboldened in my pick because speaking of Alan Patrick, he was actually originally scheduled to face Mason Jones here. So this is a last-minute replacement fight. David Onama is a last-minute switch-up, so they were going to run it back after the accidental eye poke, but I guess that's not to be and makes more sense now and even, again, reassures me that I think the big favorite's probably going to come through in this spot. But always remember, guys, even if you were the one that was originally scheduled to complete, yeah, you're probably in better shape. Yeah, you're more prepared for about on that date, but uh, sometimes the, the person that comes in last minute with nothing to lose and it is a switch up of, of opponent for the person who was already originally scheduled to fight as well. So uh, we'll see where this goes, but I'm going to stick it with the favorite to get the win here. So that wraps up the prelims and moving on to the main card. The curtain jerker of the main card is Ike Villanueva, 18 and 12, going up against the 10 and 1 Nick Negaramanu. Uh, I'm, I'm struggling to say that last name. Uh, we'll just say it, Nick N. He is coming into this fight as a minus 215 favorite. Winning, winning four out of his last five, where Ike Villanueva is only coming in uh, winning two out of his last five. Uh, he has looked a lot better, leaner, in fact, like he's in better shape. Uh, Ike Villanueva has over his last few fights, and I think we have seen somewhat of a progression this late in his career, but, you know, I think that this is pretty much open and shut case. Of course, anything could happen, but uh, I'm going to go with the heavy favorite, Nick N, to get the W. And then moving along, this next one's actually a tough one for me. We got Francisco Trinaldo, minus 120 favorite. 26 and 8 overall versus uh, Dwight Grant, 11 and 3 overall, plus 100, pretty much uh, even money underdog. Uh, this one right here, welterweight fight. Um, in this case, Dwight Grant has a significant reach and height advantage. So I think overall size advantage over Francisco Trinaldo, who has a, who has fought before down at 155. Uh, Trinaldo has, and so I think uh, you know. A lot of times we think Trinaldo is going to be undersized for his opponent and he ends up being able to have enough of a uh, power threat and he's, you know, extremely explosive, kind of like a, a Yoel Romero in some cases where, you know, he can really just make his opponent have to be on uh, edge and, and, and on the defensive to make sure they don't get caught with anything uh, heavy and anything significant so that it kind of puts them off their game a little bit. In this case, I think Dwight Grant's not going to be put in that spot. Um Obviously, he uh, can get caught. Anybody can get caught. Francisco Trinaldo does hit like a mule. But I think he's going to use, uh, Dwight Grant's going to use his size and reach advantage. And I think the 11-3 and three lesser experience but fresher, younger fighter is actually going to uh, take out the older veteran fighter in Trinaldo in this case. And I think it's worth the underdog points. So, uh, barring something significant that makes me change my opinion, for now, I'm going with Dwight Grant, the underdog get the job done and then next we have a featherweight bout between alex bruce leroy caceres versus sung woo Choi, 
10 and 3 Sung Woo Choi versus the 18 and 12 another 18 and 12 on the same card uh Alex Caceres and don't let the stats uh fool you Alex Caceres he has been in the UFC for a very long time and he's slowly blossomed and he's gotten better and better over the last few uh, of his fights now I honestly don't think the, that it's going to be an easy fight for him I think this is going to be one of those fights where Sung Woo Choi has a lot of success early and if Alex Caceres is still along for the ride Later in the seventh, uh, second and third round, you know, past the seven and a half minute mark, that he could potentially come back and get the uh, the victory here. And Alex Caceres is a plus two twenty underdog, and I feel like I don't have it in front of me because I haven't looked it up. But if you go back and look at some of his previous fights, I think there's been at least one or two other spots where he's been a big underdog and really, you know, overlooked in a few spots and comes out and spoils the party. So he is himself coming into this fight off of a four-fight winning streak. Most recently secured a decision win over Kevin Kroom about seven and a half, eight months ago. And then uh, Sung Woo Choi is coming in on a three-fight winning streak uh, versus Julian Arosa three months ago. Eight months ago, he beat Yusuf Zalal. And then previous to that, Simone Monktarian about a year, almost two years ago now. But those three names, in my opinion, are high-level competition. And, uh, you know, this one's going to be really close. I, I don't think that it should be necessarily as wide of a line as it is because Alex Caceres is always a live dog. I'll admit that even for some reason, I always seem to count this guy out when he, you know, he comes through more often than not. So we'll see how it goes. But I think uh, it's going to be, for my money, probably a high-action, flashy-type fight, maybe some spinning shit. And it'll be fun while it lasts, but I'm going inside the distance. I think uh, Sung Woo Choi ends up coming out on top. And then in the next spot, we got Jessica Rose Clark versus Jocelyn Edwards. Shortened to the point, I'm going with Jessica Rose Clark here. I think she has more UFC experience. She's really uh, taking her time, but coming to her own as of late. And I think she's going to come out and looking to make a statement, really put it on Edwards, and I think she gets it done. So Jessica Rose Clark for the win. And moving on to the co-main event, lightweight fight between Grant Dawson and Rick Lynn. 17 and 1 Dawson versus 22 and 6 and 1 Rick Glenn. And I mean, although I do think that Dawson is the rightful favorite here, and I am actually going to go with them, I don't think that this line is anywhere close to accurate. I think this is going to be a really tough test. Close fight, most likely going to go to decision. So, shortened to the point, close and evenly matched fight, in my opinion. And I think Grant Dawson comes away with a hard fought decision victory. But don't be surprised, man. If Ricky Glenn comes through, man, he's got a. His most recent victory was over Joaquin Buckley. That was only three, I'm uh, sorry, Joaquin Silva, and that was only three months ago. So I don't know. I think he's a live dog in this spot. I think the line should be a hell of a lot closer because they have uh, Grant Dawson as a minus 340 to the plus 260 underdog for Ricky Glenn. So not, you know, not super confident in this one, uh, although I think Grant Dawson is the superior fighter. But Ricky Glenn's a dog, and sometimes we've seen Dawson not necessarily be able to keep himself focused down the stretch if he's facing some adversity although he himself is coming into the fight on an eight fight winning streak undefeated in the ufc i think the momentum continues once again grant dawson for the win and finally we've arrived at the main event marvin vittori taking on paulo costa middleweight bout five round main event plus 115 paulo costa to the minus 140 favorite for marvin vittori very close odds and I agree, I think this fight is going to be fucking mayhem. And a couple of Neanderthals are just going to go out there and just give each other the business. And I think both of these guys, their most recent fights are like a several, I think four or five, maybe even six fight winning streak uh, on both sides, if not more. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but both these guys were both on a tear. And then they have one fight, their most recent fight that they both have 
the common loss to the current 85-185 champ, Israel Adesanya. And I think there's a common theme as to how he, uh, Israel was able to beat both these guys, and that's because he's intelligent. He's not going to just go out there and have an all-out brawl. He's going to outthink you. He's going to outmove you. He's not going to put himself in dumb positions to get hit. And uh, these two guys are a little bit more of, uh, I guess, brute force and just kind of forward motion, you know, 100% go, as I like to say sometimes. And uh, uh, one of these guys I feel like is going out. I don't think this fight is going to decision. Uh, they have too much too much time, five rounds, 25 minutes to uh, for one of them to take each other out. And, and I happen to think that the favorite Marvin Vittori is actually the more well-rounded fighter altogether. But, of course, Paulo Costa does have that power. And I think that a lot of people are going to uh, discredit both of them, but Paulo's skills in particular coming off that loss to Adesanya just because Adesanya's on a different level. And if he, you know, if he keeps it in the striking realm with him, he's just going to make you look like amateurish. And that's what happened in that fight. So I feel like recency bias is going to make people think that Costa doesn't have anything for Vittori in this particular matchup. Um, but I think that it's a very close, evenly matched fight. It's going to look similar almost to maybe uh, the Romero versus Costa fight, which is going to be eye candy for all of us so i expect that i hope that but i think at the very end of the day the that marvin vittori is going to secure takedowns when he needs to just like he he does in most of his fights he's willing to brawl he's willing to exchange he likes it you know to see red and just kind of go for it but um he has shown at least in his last few fights that if he has to he can take the fight to the ground secure a dominant position keep himself safe and recover if he gets rocked and uh, ultimately make a more mature fight IQ decision to uh, grind out a decision if necessary and to just get the win. So that's what I expect to happen in this fight as far as like his approach, but I still don't think that it's going to last. I think one of them is going to end up going down inside the distance. So I think Marvin Vittori ends up TKOing Paulo Costa late into the fight. Fourth round TKO Marvin Vittori. But that's it, guys. I am spent 5.03 in the morning. We have 13 fights, and I'm sure some of them are going to fall off, so pissing me off that I'm spending my whole night going over some of these fights that won't even happen, but it is what it is. I'm here for you. I appreciate you guys being here to support the podcast and support me, and real quick, if you've gotten to this point, if you're this deep into the podcast, I got a gift for you, loyal, diehard listeners. It's a mini giveaway, I guess you could call it, so I don't know if you guys recall that I'm not going to remind you because that's part of the giveaway, but... Uh, you know, the UFC fights, they have they go by so many different names, right? Sometimes UFC Fight Night, blah, blah, blah. And then sometimes UFC Vegas 40. In this case, this weekend, UFC Vegas 41. So I gave you pretty much two right there. So I'm not going to tell you anymore. But the first person to reach out to me and name all of the different ways that this upcoming weekend's fight card is named. It's obviously not a UFC pay-per-view card, right? Because that's UFC like 268 or whatever, right? It's a numbered card. But for this weekend's fights, if you reach out to me and you're the first one to list all of the different names that this weekend's fight card goes by, uh, then you'll get a special gift from me on the house. And remember, you only get one guess. So if you think you got it and you guess and you're missing one, then that's it. So... Again, thank you guys so much. I hope you enjoyed the episode, but you better do yourself a favor and not miss out on any of the upcoming episodes coming in the following week because we've got one hell of a week to talk about, obviously, the recaps from these fights and anything that happens over the weekend. But then we look ahead. we got two monster cards, one after the other coming. we got UFC 267 from Abu Dhabi, Jan Blokovic taking on Glover Teixeira, 
and a whole bunch of others. We got uh, Peter Yawn taking on Corey Sandhagen for the interim bantamweight title. And we have Dan Hooker taking on Islan Makachev in a crazy pivotal lightweight bout. And then one week later, we fly back to Madison Square Garden, one of the, if not biggest, stacked cards of the year, UFC 268. We got Kamaru Usman facing Colby Covington in a rematch for the welterweight title. Rose Namajunas facing Wiley Zhang in a rematch for their strawweight strap. And Justin Gaethje facing Michael Chandler. Shane Burgos, Billy Quarantillo, Frankie Edgar, Marlon Vera. We got my boy Bobby Green facing Ally Quinta. So we got one hell of a couple weeks ahead of us. And I hope you guys are here for every second of it. But for now, I bid you adieu. Thank you guys so much for showing up. But that's it. That does it for this week's installment of the D-Love Special Sauce Podcast. Hope you guys liked the show. If you did, go over to Apple and iTunes. Give us a five-star rating and a positive review. While you're there, turn the notification bell on. That way you're on top of all the most current content. If you're already supporting a small independent podcast, please do check out and support all the small businesses that support us just like you guys by listening every week. We got Monique Taylor with Strong Women Designs. We got Dream Loud Collections, my girl Nora, custom handmade jewelry. Check her out. OC Party Rentals, Paint Bay, the journey of a modern day painter, Upper Glass Tent, Eating Buttery Pancakes is getting people shredded, Vargas Auto Spa, California Shirt Smith. Check out Justin for some custom print works, Blake Builder and the Builder System, Mac Noodles and Chef, Ricardo with Neighborhood Auto Care, Socks Meals, Snyder and of course the other two Donica last and not least MMT Fitness make sure to check them out on Instagram make sure to go out and check out the gym exit Avery Parkway off the 5 freeway the first class is always free tell them the DLS 